Good evening, brothers and sisters. On this Good Friday, I would like to just share a short devotional with you uh, from God's Word and for us to just reflect a bit on the time we have together. I want to begin this evening by reading to you a poem, a Puritan poem from the Valley of Vision. The title of the poem is The Precious Blood. Blessed Lord Jesus, before thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused thee to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my, my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God, its worth infinite, its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper. Born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light? The air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures subverse my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me, thy heart hastens to my rescue, thy love endured my curse, Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathe in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Well, brothers and sisters, as we think about on this Good Friday, the death of our Savior for our sins, as we think about Christianity compared to other world religions, even comparing Christianity to the largest, the fastest growing religion in the world, Islam. In Islam, Muhammad stormed into Mecca on a war horse accompanied by hundreds of horsemen and thousands of foot soldiers. It was death or slavery to anyone who did not submit to Muhammad. But then there's Jesus, the prophet who came not with swords and clubs, but came humbly mounted on a donkey. He came not to defeat his enemies through the traditional means, but by dying on a cross. There he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In the cross of Christ, he defeated his enemies once and for all. And tonight I want us to think together from a passage in Mark chapter 15. So I invite you, if you've not already opened your Bibles, but to turn to Mark chapter 15. Now, we're not going to consider all of chapter 15, but just one verse. For context sake, I'm going to begin reading in verse 33. So Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas, denied by one of his closest followers, Peter, arrested and found guilty of blasphemy by the religious leaders, sentenced to die by the hand of the Romans. Since the Jews had no authority to carry out capital punishment, they handed Jesus over to the Romans under the charges of conspiracy to overthrow Caesar. Pilate, the leader of the Romans, sentenced Jesus to die as the king of the Jews. Chapter 15 of Mark's Gospel is the pinnacle chapter. Our passage this evening is the text for which all other texts and scriptures point. The cross of Christ is the pinnacle of the whole of Scripture. The point of this text this evening is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, endured shame, suffered agonizing pain, and bore the wrath of God that your sin deserved so that you would no longer be separated from God. I want to spend our time this evening focusing really in on the last words found in verse 34. Look there again at what Jesus says. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's spend just a few minutes thinking together about the wrath of God that Christ Jesus bore for you and I because of our sinful rebellion against Him. There in verse 33, we see that darkness was covering the whole land. This is meant to depict God's judgment. It's meant to demonstrate that God is about to pour out His wrath upon His Son. It's followed by the cry of abandonment in verse 34. My God, my God. Jesus is crying out because He is experiencing the wrath of God that sin deserved. His Father is turning away from Him sin as He separates Himself from the sin. Just as Jesus in verse 22 of chapter 15 is taken outside of the city wall, a picture of separation from the flourishing and access to God in the temple, Jesus is condemned to die outside of the city apart from the presence of God apart from the presence of the divine. Jesus here in chapter 15 and verse 34 is quoting Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, verse 1, David cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? What does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is crying out and repeating this psalm? It means that God, His Father, is turning Himself away from His Son. He is separating Himself from sin that He is laying upon His Son. This doesn't mean that Jesus became sin, rather that He became the one condemned in the place of sinners. 
He became their substitute. This reminds us why Jesus came. He did not come to earth merely to die, to merely give us an example of what a righteous person should do. You you know, sacrifice himself for those that you love. But as he says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friend, this is why Christ Jesus died, to give his life for our life, his death for our death. Again, this is the great exchange that we experience in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we, Christians, might become the righteousness of God. The Father provided in His Son a substitute for sinners. It was for our sake that He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus came to take our place. For our sake literally means for our benefit or on our behalf. Jesus came to this earth to live the life you couldn't and die the death you deserved. The doctrine that we are referring to in this text is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. This doctrine teaches that God forgives the penalty due our sins because Jesus took our place by living the life we should have lived and dying the death that we deserved. In other words, because we deserve death, Jesus came and died instead of us. Substitutionary atonement is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is at the very heart of Christianity. And as you read your Bible, you will see that it's the heart of the Scriptures. It runs like a thread throughout all of the Scriptures, both old and new. It brings us to the very core of the Old Testament sacrificial system. In fact, all of the Old Testament was a foreshadow of what would come in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's consider just a few examples of this. The first glimpse we get of the atonement comes in the very first pages of the Bible. You'll be reminded when we studied Genesis 3 earlier this year that God cursed humanity for its willful rebellion against Him. The wages of sin is death and separation from God. But as we saw as we studied the the chapter that, that there was grace, admit this, This condemnation. Hear these grace-filled words again from Genesis chapter 3. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Did you hear them? First, they have just been condemned to death. But he names his wife the mother of all living? Adam, did you not hear what is going to happen if you eat of the tree? Oh, yes, he heard. But he also heard words of grace. The words that a substitute would come and crush the head of that wicked snake. Did you hear also that God provided coverings for them? God covered their shame through the death of another 
in this case, an animal. But this points to a greater sacrifice that would remove our shame by removing the curse and cause of shame, namely sin. Well, let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 12. Just this week, our Jewish friends celebrated the Passover on the 15th of Nisan. Coming from Exodus 12, God provides salvation for the Israelites through the death of another, the Passover lamb. God instructed each Israelite family to kill a spotless lamb, place its blood on the doorpost of the home, and then consume the roasted meat. When the death angel went out to exact God's punishment, if he saw the blood on the doorpost, he would literally pass over the home, therefore saving the family from God's wrath. The innocent lamb was condemned so that the guilty might go free. The Passover lamb would become the tapestry on which God displayed His plan of salvation through a substitute sacrifice. Well, the threat of atonement continues throughout the prophets and becomes especially clear in Isaiah's vision of the suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 53, we are told that the suffering servant would come and that he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him would be the chastisement that brought us peace. That by his wounds we are healed. And that the Lord would lay on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. The suffering servant was to take upon himself the sins of of another. He was pierced, we are told, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 is the same word that Isaiah uses for the transgression and iniquities. God punished Jesus. He pierced Jesus. God crushed Jesus for our sin. Jesus Christ took upon Himself our sin so that we would no longer have to face its penalty. Well, this thread of substitutionary atonement continues into the New Testament, lying at the very heart of its message. John the Baptist, for example, says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John saw Jesus, he saw him as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. Or in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ took the curse of sin upon himself. He died as a substitute, redeeming us from the curse of death. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 28 of Hebrews says, Christ was offered as a sacrifice, bearing the sins of many. Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sin by dying the death we deserve. This summary of the Bible's teaching on the substitutionary atonement points us toward what Jesus is saying here on the cross, that He is being abandoned by His Father and dying in the place of sinners. Christ Jesus, by dying, 
satisfied the judgment we deserve because of our sinful rebellion. We find at the cross of Christ the culmination of God's redemptive plan to save sinners by a substitute sacrifice. Friend, if you are not a Christian, do you find it strange that God would satisfy His wrath by punishing His own Son? Does this injustice appall you that an innocent man is condemned and that a guilty man is set free? Friend, the only way to satisfy God's just wrath against you is by faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, the condemnation that we spoke of earlier remains. No number of good works, positive thinking, or self-reliance will ever be enough to satisfy God's just judgment of your sin. And the proof for this is in Jesus, in the cross. The fact that it took God sending His own Son demonstrates our inadequacy and inability to save ourselves. In giving His Son, God gave Himself. Worship is the only proper response. Brothers and sisters, are you encouraged by the sacrifice of Christ this evening? Will you lift your head higher today knowing that God's wrath has been satisfied through the death of Christ? Not in pride or self-exaltation, but out of despair and toward hopeful expectation. Maybe as you listen this evening, you're despairing over your sin. Those deep secret sins. Those sins that have caused you great anguish and tearful sorrow. Perhaps in this season of isolation, you've been left with nothing but your thoughts, and your thoughts condemn you. Brother, can I encourage you? Sister, may I lift you up? Christ Jesus has satisfied God's judgment of your sin. And His Word promises pardon from sin. For 1 John chapter 1 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us that all we have is from Christ. God is not pleased with you today because you read your Bible or because you prayed or because you loved your spouse or cared for your children. His love for you did not grow warmer because you did some good deed this week or because you performed some religious duty. No, God's love for you is fully dependent upon Christ and Him alone. God grounds His love for you in Christ's finished work on the cross. Do not walk with your head held high thinking you have earned God's favor or love. Rather, lay humbly at the feet of the cross where Christ took Himself upon Himself the punishment your sins deserved. Depend on Christ and on Christ alone. Let the words of abandonment not be your words. For Christ was abandoned that you would never face abandonment. That the Father would never turn away from you. Christ faced the punishment. Christ healed the way. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, bore the wrath of God that your sin deserved so that you and I 
could have an eternal relationship with the Father. Jesus has won our peace and He has ushered in a new and living way. Friend, we must not add nothing to the cross. Are you amazed at the Christian gospel? In this one truth that there is nothing we can do to be saved, no law to obey, no pillars to aspire to, nothing, no list to do, nothing we can do ourselves to fix our problems. And this truth that we must not add anything is the truth we cling to tonight. That upon the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago, He finished His work. He satisfied the Father's wrath. And so we can sing with confidence, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior indeed. Worthy of all of our praise and all of our life. May we give ourselves to this God for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do pray and are reminded of our need for Christ. Our hearts are full to know that your love is displayed upon the cross of Christ. Your sacrifice of your Son in our place reminds us that we can do nothing to earn your favor or love. That the only way to a relationship with you is by faith alone in Christ alone and His work for our behalf. Father, in this season of isolation, and loneliness, and despair, may we be reminded that Christ suffered the same, that we would not be eternally separated from you. May we rest and know that your Spirit dwells within us, that you are not far from anyone, and that your arm is strong enough to save. Save, Lord Jesus, for your glory and our eternal good in Christ. Amen.